Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There'd be a lot of poop in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> seen a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural. Lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh, yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big. Mm-hmm. Abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the... Hello and welcome back to Crimson the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful mystery. And I am still drunk from last night, Jay. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> Today we're joined by a couple amazing guests. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, I listen to it all the time. It's amazing we get to talk to these guys. Jay, would you please introduce our guest? We are joined today by the wonderful podcast, Weird Crap on Australia. Uh, we're Australia. Joined- Australia. Australia. No, A. Oh, Australia. We've had straight, a 20 minute conversation about this before recording. <laughs> it's a tough act to say their names. Matthew and Holly. Welcome. G'day, Hi. everybody. Oh, lean into it. G'day, mates. How's it all going over there in the US of good old A? I mean, um, if you want us to do a broad Australian accent, we can definitely do that for you. Oh, mate, we can totally do that, mate. No, this is, that is not what Australians sound like. Wait, so well, depending our generation on the region. is too Americanized <laughs> wait, to sound like what that. What do you mean? Nothing changed. <laughs> You're horrible. <laughs> Sorry, he's mean when he's early. Oh, come on! No, we love it. <laughs> I uh, just before we do get into the the body of uh, of the podcast here and and have a chat about some stuff. Uh, thank you so much for having us on your show. It's always, um, in my opinion, the uh, what, what's the term I'm looking for, Holly? Highest honor. It is. It is absolutely to be invited onto a podcast, and and thank you guys for having us on. Um, first thing, I want to address something that you brought up during your Loch Ness series uh, about the the titular monster Loch Loch Ness Nessie. 
attacking uh, us already. I'm not. It's not an attack. You I asked a question, and I think I can answer your question. Actually, during that yes. that that series, you asked how Australians felt about the death of Steve Irwin. We went out and killed oh, the whole yeah. stingrays yeah. afterwards. So that should tell you. So there are a couple of things there. So first up, to understand Australians' reaction to Steve Irwin, you have to understand Australians. We will let you do what you want to do. It's, it's kind of very similar to a, a Southern American attitude, you know. Go out, do your thing, whatever you do is, is your business. Now, we have that exact same approach to everyone else. The problem is that we also understand the consequences of your actions. So if you go outside to play around with a crocodile and it eats you, uh, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy. You know, it's like, okay, you're mucking around with wildlife and, and, it, and it bit you. Look, to be honest, a lot of Australians lost money when he didn't get eaten by a crocodile. Yeah, this is yeah. true. A lot of betting sure. agencies, yeah, didn't uh, end up paying out. Now, when it came to Steve, though, while we were always expecting Steve to die by an animal, we also loved him to pieces. So Steve Irwin actually got a state funeral, and it was televised across the country. Our prime minister at the time, which is the equivalent to the American president, uh, he gave a speech during that event. So that's how much Steve Irwin was beloved here. He was absolutely an Australian icon. We just expected that eventually something would get him. You know, it's, right. it's you know that's just how it, it, it played out for us. Because the other side of it is that I think um, Australians had a little bit more access to Steve Irwin's content than what was sort of repackaged, re-edited, and sent out to the rest of the world. So you definitely saw him getting up and close to dangerous reptiles and dangerous snakes and, and things like that. One of the things about Australian crocodiles here is that, and being a, a marine biologist, you'll be able to correct me on this, but I believe our saltwater crocodiles and our general crocodiles are much bigger than American alligators. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are. By a, so, by a landslide. I could so, have told you that. You could have, but you know, this is all about, we've got American... Uh, personalities to bounce off of now, yeah, Holly. So I'm usually your fact checker. So <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. So you know our attitude towards crocodiles is leave them the fuck alone. Oh wait, sorry. Can we swear on this podcast? <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, I apologize. I'm going to rein it in as best I can. <laughs> Another Australian cultural norm is we, you know, we say the c word a lot. It it's just part of our vernacular. We, I apologize if I do it. I apologize <laughs> if I swear too much. I will do my best to rein it in. Yeah, it happens. So, yeah, it's okay. It's that we okay. Swear too much. So, yeah. yeah, even our even our listeners are like, mate. Look, I understand you're an Aussie, but Jesus, you, this is getting a bit rough. <laughs> so I'm very bad. So I apologize for that. Um, Sounds so like yeah, my wife. <laughs> you know, when it comes to crocodiles, you just leave them alone. They're very big and they'll eat you. Uh, Steve liked to cuddle with them, you know. So we always right. assumed we always assumed that something was going to um, was going to happen with Steve. <laughs> the The interesting thing about the legacy of Steve Irwin after the fact is you would be aware of his wife Terry Irwin. Mm -hmm. Yes, she got into bed not literally in business sense and, and in sort of a promotional sense with a, a, a one of America's great grifters, and that was John Edwards from the TV series Crossing Over. And there's a whole chapter oh, at the yeah. end of... Yeah, and I read Terry's book, uh, My Steve. Beautiful book, heartbreaking book. I'd recommend everyone check it out. But at the end of it, she does talk about 
um, how she's able to, to speak with Steve after the fact through the, uh, the efforts of family friend, um, you know, John Edwards. So it's, it's an interesting story. It's a bit of a mixed bag, but I can say emphatically, yes, Australians love Steve. We always expected him to be eaten by a crocodile, but we yeah. did make sure that we sent him out uh, in in a proper way. So I hope does that answer your question? Yes. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Yeah. Uh, for what I ended up doing and stuff like that, you know, he's sorry the Wi-Fi. We're going through a storm right now. Uh, so yeah, what I grew up and ended up doing, you know, he was a big influence in that. Literally, this whole room behind me is full of reptiles. Uh, everything from big alligator snapping turtles to all kinds of stuff in there. Uh, so, and we do educational shows with him and stuff like that. I don't have any crocodilians, but you know, it's just it, it, he just meant something to a lot of us over here, which he does to you guys too. I'm not saying that. It just it's just cool to see somebody like that that touched the globe. Yeah, he would be very happy that you don't have any crocodilians in that room. <laughs> But he'd also be very—he'd <laughs> also be very happy that he inspired people too. That was his whole oh, yeah. goal, you know. He yeah. had—he had this beautiful relationship with the natural world that I think we, as as we progress forward, I think a lot of people forget about. Even in our own country, we constantly have to fight against the ideas of um, you go out into the beach, a, a shark eats you, therefore we cull. 20 sharks you know that attitude is very prevalent here as well but steve always made sure to explain to people and explain to the world this is their habitat we're going into their habitat and we need to respect them protect them leave them alone so if you go swimming with a bunch of crocodiles and they eat you that's not the crocodile's fault right so, it's just a crocodile it's it's exactly it's nature yeah yeah exactly a hundred percent there with you like it's bad here in the U.S., especially for sharks. Mm. It's uh, we don't have a lot of shark attacks as far as any other country. I mean, you guys have a lot more than we do, and you yeah. would think there was eighty of them eating people a week. Yeah, with yeah. how people react, it's the media. Yeah, it, yeah. it is. The, yeah, absolutely, it's the media. Uh, we we will probably see here in Australia, and I think outside of um, of Cape Town in in South Africa, we probably cop at the worst. But we only see maybe I don't know five or six shark attacks every season. Or at least those are the ones that make it to the media. Yeah, and typically those shark attacks don't involve great whites. They they involve uh, bull sharks, and mm-hmm. you know sharks one. As well. Yeah, one of, one of the biggest problems is Australians also are, are partly responsible for that myth because all of that beautiful marine footage that you see in Jaws, that was shot uh, just off the coast of Queensland. That was shot by an Australian marine biologist and then uh, his entire life was built around trying to um, change people's perceptions and it was, unfortunately for him, it was his fault, you know, it, to a certain extent and, and the, the film Jaws. I think people sort of saw that movie and got into their head that these these beautiful animals. I've gone swimming with sharks; they're absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Not a great white yet. Um, Holly said I'm not allowed to, so I haven't <laughs> gone swimming with great whites. But you know, I've I've been swimming with nurse sharks and stuff like that, and they're they're gorgeous animals. And the problem with a movie like Jaws is it makes every and and I'm not shitting on that movie. Sorry, I swore again. I'm not crapping on it's that okay. movie. I absolutely love Jaws. I'm a big Steven Spielberg fan. And it is a shame, though, in that movie, the, the, the creature is turned into a monster and that monster is vengeful to the point when you get to Jaws 4. And I think the shark is now a serial killer going after the Brody family. 
yeah. if I recall that movie properly. And Michael Caine's in it for a bit, I think. He's in a trench coat and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's, it's like every time Mrs. Brody looks over in the water, it's just a shark sort of like sitting just above, pointing its fin at her the whole time, you know, in, in Cape Fear style like Robert De Niro. So... Yeah, it's also, and I, sorry, I've gone on a tag. I'll shut up very shortly and actually no, get into the we show. we do it all the time. <laughs> but it's like, you, you point at, at your stuff and you're like, you know, Steve Irwin inspired me and, and, and that's now part of my living space, my office. And it's like, if you look behind me, it's the polar opposite, where it's very evident who has inspired me most of my mm-hmm. life, as I have a full-size Batman costume behind me, you know. <laughs> and that is what we call, ladies and gentlemen, a cultural exchange. <laughs> oh, important question. Who's your favorite Batman? Michael Keaton. Okay, fair. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I uh I grew up on Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh, okay, actually to be to be fair, it be Kevin Conroy. Yeah, I was going to um, say can I correct you and go this Kevin Conroy right there. <laughs> yes. So, uh Kevin Conroy was the voice of Batman in the Batman the animated series. And oh, okay. a lot yeah, a lot of the stuff that we love about Batman comes from that animated series. So Harley Quinn was originally introduced in in that animated series. Uh, the Mister Freeze backstory about his uh, frozen wife that comes from the animated series, and he just had a, a beautiful way of of doing Batman and Bruce Wayne's voice. But as far as live action, I'm, I'm always going to go back to Keaton, even though I really like Bale and I really liked. I, to be fair. Outside of Clooney, I think all of them have been quite amazing Batmans. Um, Even Val Kilmer? Yeah, look, the the interesting thing about Val Kilmer and what redeems his performance is the PTSD stuff in Batman Forever. So if you just, if you ignore Jim Carrey's crutch in a leotard and just like really focus in on, on Val Kilmer dealing with his PTSD, it's his performance is fine. It's everything else around him that's the problem. George Clooney, you know, you just can't take that one back. You know, that, there's no redeeming <laughs> that one. Um, and then, look, I think Ben Affleck's a great actor, and I actually I don't mind his Batman because the suit does half the talking for the the actor anyway. It's just I I don't. All my life, I just wanted to see Batman and Superman together on the big screen. I just I wanted to see that. I was so passionate about seeing that. And then we scored early tickets to it. I got to go to Sydney. I got to see it a week before it premiered. I got to see it on IMAX. Sydney has the biggest IMAX theater in the world. And afterwards, after I was so excited, I watched the movie and I walked out. And Holly's like, so, did you like it? And I'm like, it's all right. And it was the most <laughs> crushing... It was one of the most crushing experiences of my life, and um, you know, good. it's not because they're really they're na- they they both have the same mother's name, and I was like, yeah, yep, <laughs> oh gosh, yes, they that, do. That was my favorite memes that came out of it. I mean, we're talking we're talking Batman versus Superman, right? Yep. Yes, yes we are. Yep. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm my gonna mom's s- name was I'm gonna say this out. I'm gonna say this finally. You know, admit it for the airwaves, whatever. Zack Snyder. Snyder sucks. He, he you woke Zach up Snyder. in a bad mood. <laughs> Zach no, I'm right. Snyder Look, sucks. He does. He does. There's this weird cult that's now formed around him. This weird internet cult. And now why? I don't. I. I. I kind of get it. I kind of get it, and I kind of don't. It's like his visuals are really spectacular. So it's like yeah. strip everything back. The way he presents film is really cool. 
It like looks cool. But the problem is that a film is not just visuals. You need a script. No. Yeah. And if, if you can't nail the script properly, so it's like, okay, you want Batman and Superman to meet each other. Um, I don't like how geographically far apart Gotham City and Metropolis are, so let's make it New York City and New Jersey. All right, you know, that's a bit cheap. Yeah, looking at each other. They're, they're literally, yeah, so it's like the argument is from Superman's perspective, I don't like what you do with criminals. You brand them, they then get murdered in, in prison. You're effectively a murderer by proxy. That's Superman's beef, right? But I'm like, Superman... Why not just patrol all of Metropolis and Gotham? It's just a river in between. Batman is looking at Metropolis from a rooftop. If anyone is to blame for out-of-control crime in Gotham City, Superman, it's you. It's your fault. I know you really want to write the latest football and sports article, and I completely get that, but this is your fault. So when... When you have a very fundamental broken part of the film before you even get started, <laughs> right. you know, it's not going to be great. And then the writer has to go, okay, so they're angry. We have their motivation locked in. Batman's worried that this uh, nuclear weapon of a man is flying around the city and, and could jeopardize the world. He still has PTSD after watching Metropolis get absolutely decimated during their fight. He has beef. Superman's angry that, that he's killing people by proxy so how do we bring them together what is we we could show that they're both heroic in their own way we could show that they both experience trauma um we we could bring them together when superman's mum is kidnapped but what humanizes superman for batman is their mums have the same name and that you know i i have i'm still upset you can tell i'm still upset it's been like six years and i'm still angry (laughs) and i'll never get over it do you know you know what did it for me for Zack Snyder? Mm-hmm. What movie did it? Was uh, Punch? you ever seen? <laughs> uh, I never saw that. I never saw that. One. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness, probably. But the movie Dawn of the Dead. You ever seen that? Yes, I have. Yep, yep. So there's this one scene in that movie where Vin Rames, like the zombies, are breaking in. You know, it's this big cinematic performance, and Vin Rames turns around with this big shotgun. And it goes in this slow motion, and he's like, "Hold on!" And it goes in slow motion. Cocks his gun, rolls cinematic, and then he points it right at the zombie, shoots his gun, and then it. This is all in slow motion, like you know Zack Snyder yep. likes to do. He loves. He it. shoots his gun, boom, boom, and it makes big scene, and then he misses, and then it, yep. and then it, and then it cuts back in the full speed. He's like, run, and they all run away. Yep. They did this whole scene. He shot his gun in slow mo, missed the freaking zombies, and then they all just run away. Yeah, that yeah, awful. Do you know how hard it, it is to miss with a shotgun? It's awful. It's, it's it, just, it, I mean, it's awful. yeah, it's it's a bullet made of little bullets that yeah. spread, <laughs> and he's yeah. point blank. You know, you should be out. I mean, I I understand. Uh, obviously, in Australia, another big cultural difference is um, you know the 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 way we look at guns and and weapons. So Australians don't have as much experience because generally our weapon use involves uh, sports people. Uh, it involves farmers as well. So I grew up in rural farm community, so I'm very used to seeing shotguns and just uh, hunting rifles. Very similar to you guys over there as well. Um, but obviously we have you know a lot of licensing in that that is involved in having a firearm. So I grew up around guns. And the funny thing is, even with our inexperience of guns, it's like we watch an American film and it's like, 
Why are you? Why are you pulling? Why are you pulling it back again? You've just now jammed your gun. Why? Why are you missing <laughs> with the shotgun? So we even understand enough to be like, okay, this is American gun. Uh, sorry, this is American film industry uh, gun activity, which is definitely not the same as someone actually discharging a weapon. I right, I can't remember know. what movie it was, but literally the guy like cocked the shotgun like three different times. <laughs> like yeah. now it's empty. <laughs> right, he just yeah. emptied the whole thing. I don't know. flying. Those are your gun- your bullets. <laughs> And I yeah. always like the yeah pulling back pulling back the pistol when it's already ready to go and load it. It's called a semi-automatic oh, yeah. pistol, so you don't have to keep cocking it. That's the whole point. Pulling that hammer back. You I, don't I, need I to keep. Ca- yeah. <laughs> I have a two-staged uh, handgun, and it's the same way. It's like, and I've seen people with my same handgun pull yep. a hammer back. Like, just you know, people go out to the range; they don't really know what they're doing. It's like, come on, come on, it's guys. already there. Hollywood knows how to use guns. Just ask Alex Baldwin. Okay. Oh, <laughs> See, I was going to make that joke as well, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll People, go there. I don't care. We can you also know, talk screw, to Brandon Lee about screw that guy. We don't like celebrities, so it's okay. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, poor old Brandon Lee. He caught, he pretty much the same sort of, oh no, was with the with Alec Baldwin, it was actually loaded with a proper bullet, wasn't it? It wasn't just a yeah. bunch yeah. of... Shit, because yeah, Brandon Lee was killed on. If if people haven't seen the film, it's called The Crow. Go check it out. It's a wonderful film. Yep. Because um, Brandon Lee's death resulted in them trying to create a blank, essentially leaving a bunch of shit in the barrel. So when the next blank came through, it fired the the remains of the previous blank in the, the barrel wad. into his head. Yeah. yeah. So he copped that in the head. But yeah, with Alec Baldwin, it was it was an actual bullet. Like they handed yes, him a, yes. a loaded gun, yes. right? He he shot two people. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a squib. So he thought he had, and this is the main story, quote unquote. Mm. Uh, he thought he had a squibs gun, which I'm sure you guys know, but maybe people at home not. Squibs are the little things that when you shoot a gun and the, like it pops on the person's chest yep. and to make it look like they're being shot. So. He, that's why I think he shot both times and didn't realize he shot anybody because it was supposed to. No, well, it was one. He shot one time and shot through somebody and then hit another person. Else. Yeah. But yeah. And it was like, but it's the real gun is like twice as heavy. Yeah. 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 I, I kind of find it amazing now with CGI because it's so much easier to just do a quick muzzle shot on, on most yep. films. So, you know, speaking of Batman versus Superman, when he does have that scene in the apocalyptic future and he's shooting his gun off. Um, if you look at those uh, those muzzle flashes, they're all CGI muscle flashes, and it's it's it looks just as good. So I, I I don't understand why Hollywood still has this penchant for using real firearms or using real blanks because generally speaking, you can get away with CGI with most of this stuff. Yeah, but then you have to remember yeah. to put the muzzle flash in the right way around. Yeah, that is true too. There was a, a lovely CGI breakdown I watched the other day where the muzzle flashes in Batman vs Superman. Another complaint are all backwards. So. <laughs> So the big part of the muzzle flash is, is, is leaving the gun and the little part of the, mu- uh, you know, it's just, it's all reverse. So yeah, you yep. know, it's the little things, man. It's, it's, it's it the is. little things. It is. It is. It all just adds up to the, you know, one formula. It all adds up to Zack Snyder sucks. <laughs> he does. I'm very much looking forward to what James Gunn does with the, the DC universe. I have to say. <laughs> Um, especially when he was like, my Batman is a fully established Batman and we're going to introduce his son, Damian Wayne, as Robin. Damian is an assassin. He's a little nasty son of a bitch and it's going to be Batman learning he has a son. And I'm like, I'm down 
for that. Like, that sounds just off the walls. I want to see that particular movie. It's also nice to see that people aren't afraid to use Robin. You know, for a long time, wasn't Chris O'Donnell's fault, but for a long time, people were like, we can't use Robin. And then they make the parody kick-ass, and it's like, oh, yeah, you can do Robin. You can absolutely right. do Robin. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I apologize for this cryptid podcast turning into Matthew shits on about pop culture for an hour and a half. It's- it's okay. Yeah, no, we are we... famous for side tangents. There are side <laughs> tangent t-shirts out there. So it's all good. Everybody's going to get what they normally get. Before we move on, though, I want you guys to tell everybody. We should have done it at the beginning, so it's my fault. Yep. Well, I want you guys to tell everybody where they can find your stuff, a little bit about yourself, that kind of deal, if you would. Holly, because you haven't said anything, maybe you should handle your introduction and I'll add anything I feel that is necessary. Oh, you're you, you going to let me talk about something that's not bad again? No. <laughs> how how do you feel about Batman, Holly? I'm surrounded by you. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Weird Crap in Australia, we are a podcast series that talks about anything that's weird, that's crap, or that happened in Australia. Uh, we're, yeah, it's in the title. <laughs> we're a historical anthology podcast, so you can start anywhere in our back catalogue. We're just about to record episode 250, so there's a lot there you can go through and have a look at. Uh, we cover ghosts, monsters... I was going to say demons, but that was only once. No, we, well, we did cover demons. <laughs> that was an exorcism. Yeah. It's kind of a demon. Uh, true crime, pol- political history, colonial history, basically anything. If I find it and I think it's interesting, I'll, d- I'll research it and I'll make Matthew talk about it. Yeah, so, you know, we also cover a lot of Australian pop culture as well. And you may be surprised at some of the things we cover. We've done a series on the Wiggles, for example. And people <laughs> are like, why, why would you do a series on the Wiggles. And it's like, when you start looking into their history, the Wiggles started as a band called the Cockroaches. And one of their uh, their biggest gigs that they used to play at was uh, settled above a brothel in Sydney. When so, they were 16. Oh, wow. <laughs> when they were 16. So legally they couldn't uh, use those services, nor could they drink a beer, but they could definitely play at, at a gig in a brothel. And, you know, Australian history is sort of really weird like that. And then, Obviously, the Wiggles go on to be one of Australia's, and this is this is a fact that still blows my mind to the day. Between them and ACDC, they hold generally the record for the most money earned by an Australian musical act in the world. Those two acts constantly Man. fight for the top place. Yep. So one year will be ACDC, then it's the Wiggles, and they just go back and forth Every all now the and time. Every Kylie Minogue will jump in. Yeah. And... We, we like to talk about that sort of stuff. Uh, we, we just did our Mad Max series as well, where we go into the entire history of Mad Max and, and how that was created. And, and one of the reasons we wanted to do it is because it's really hard to find Australian content for Australians. We import a lot of American culture. We import a lot of American pop culture, especially. Our cinemas very rarely have Australian films, but we get all of the American releases. So when we were setting out to do this podcast, I really love Last Podcast on the Left. I'm sure you guys have heard of that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said to Holly, wouldn't it be really nice if we could do something like that for Australians? I say, you know, talk about serial killers, talk about cryptids, talk about UFO encounters. And Holly looked at me and said, no. And then the next day after she had a thought about, because Holly is not a last podcast on the left fan, she, she had to think about it and she's like, well, how do you want to approach this? And that was pretty much the, the whole impetus for the, the show. And That was just sort of six years ago. So Yeah, yeah. And, and since then, we have expanded out. So, you know, we started in this very thin corridor of, of essentially 
um, paranormal history and then we go back to it all the time as well but we expand it out because unfortunately for Australians we're not getting abducted by UFOs nearly as often as Americans are so we had to sort of expand out the show a little bit further and a little bit further to incorporate some of that fun uh, pop culture stuff not only have we almost run out of aliens we've almost run out of monsters as well so I have to try and find some new cryptids buried somewhere in the outback yeah. zoo yeah, yeah. and and so, yeah, if, if people want to find the show and they, they want to find us and my musings on Batman, uh, you know, type in Weird Crap in Australia <laughs> into any social media. If you really want to hear my thoughts on pop culture, head to our Twitter account at Weird Crap in US. But whatever podcatcher app you enjoy, you'll find the, the podcast on. So that's how people can find us. And, and yeah, that was the origin for the show. Now, Holly has uh, a degree um, that had uh, a sub-focus on uh, historical site management, Holly? Cultural heritage management. Oh, God, I always screw that up, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so she had the research background, and, and I don't think without Holly's uh, research background, it, it wouldn't be nearly as entertaining. I used one of my major assignments as the basis of one of our episodes, actually, the Fisher's Ghost episodes. Mm. And I think you've even looked at actually using our podcast for university credit. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I've looked at that too. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so that that is what we've done. We've done nearly. What did we release this week? Episode two. It's, it's literally on the board behind you, but we will be recording oh, two forty five. We'll be recording episode <laughs> two fifty this week. <laughs> you know, so yeah, and. Um, yeah, we're, we've, we just cover everything Australia. So we, we like to also buck the idea of, of who Australians are and, and what we are. Uh, I think a lot of people just think we're, we're Crocodile Dundee. And that's just... Yeah, well, it's, it's going to bring just, that up. Yeah, yeah. Now, we love those movies too. Like, we're not upset with that cultural icon, but we're not going out wrestling crocodiles all the time, <laughs> only on the weekends. And we haven't touched kangaroo right. since 1938. You know, but but some of the, the some of the stuff holds up. So, you know, if you like, we we actually did a breakdown of this when we did the the classic Simpsons episode. We did it as one of our Christmas specials, where we're like, okay, let's let's grab the fact from fiction and and let's sort of like break this all apart. So there are a lot of places in Australia where it is a really built up area. Uh, we live in Australia's capital, which is called Canberra. That's where our Parliament House is, similar to the the White House or the Senate in America, and. It's a very small city, though. It's only about 4,000 people. The architecture... Sorry, 400,000 people. Sorry, Holly. The architecture is actually very similar to um, Washington. So it actually looks very similar. It was used by Liam Neeson in an action film about two and a half years ago. He was here filming some of that, and it was a stand-in for Washington. So that gives you an idea of what it looks like where we live. But go 30... You know, go for a little drive, go 30 minutes outside of Canberra, and Head you're straight back into the bushland. <laughs> yeah, go over to that hill, and you're, you're straight back into bushland. <laughs> um, we, we like, I go in and out of Canberra every day for work, and as you're driving, it, it takes me about 25 minutes to drive home, and I'll see about two kangaroos, one bo- wombat, a fox. It's basically a Beatrix Potter cartoon. And then I'll see a ton of rabbits, and that's, that's me going back and forth every day. So some of the stuff holds up. Uh, but a lot of it doesn't, you know, you'd be, I think you would be shocked if, if you guys ever decide to come over here, just how Americanized Australia is as well. Mm. I believe it. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, I can see it. Uh, and it's kind of funny how you guys were talking. It's like, we have a lot of friends and fans in uh, like New England, or not New England, England, UK, stuff like that. Sweden. Sweden. We have a lot in Sweden. 
they were surprised we didn't talk like we were from Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's uh, it. It comes from only, I, I think it comes from two things, like just incepting pop culture and just meeting American tourists. You know, so yeah. you'll be walking around Melbourne, and and immediately you're going to have uh, a, if you are in a touristy area, you're going to have someone be like. Oh, Patty, can you believe we're here in Melbourne? What are all these lovely Aussies doing? They're just fantastic <laughs> people. You know, and, and, and they'll be like, where do we find those kangaroos that you ride on to work? And when, you, when you're copying that sort of thing all the time, you know, it, it, creates a, it creates a stereotype. But yeah, we all have stereotypes. All of us I have. I great at that. I enjoyed that. Did you like talking to somebody from Pennsylvania? Yeah, Holly. Holly always tells me that my American. Well, you tell me in general, Holly, that my American accents are, are way off. But it's like you know, I can do. We can do the Matthew McConaughey as, as well. They're like, all right, all right, all right. Just because you copy a lot. Yeah, yeah, that one right, you just said right. a second ago sounds like you were from Upper State Pennsylvania. Well, I'd like, like to say thank you so much for your endorsement of my wonderful American accent. Does it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's from Lake Erie, like up by uh, up in the rich <laughs> suburbs. Yeah, yeah. I like going to Lake Erie on the weekend for a lot of fishing, <laughs> walleye fishing. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, he sounds like it. Yeah, please save your walleye cheeks for me. I will buy them off you. Walleye Save cheeks, your walleye cheeks, cheeks for me. I will buy them off you for ten <laughs> oh of gosh. your American dollars. That, that, now that on the soundboard. That is, uh, I don't. I think it's a, a, a not, not a well known fact. Uh, an American delicacy is walleye cheeks. Oh yeah, the cheeks like, out of these fish. Yeah. Oh man, these fish. Their cheeks are just like it's so good. It's this. It's freshwater scallops, basically. Right, and they just take it. See, Holly's a butcher as well by trade. Oh, so oh, okay. yes, yes. So I'm really good for the true crime murders. Yeah. <laughs> so we did an episode on a woman um, called Catherine Knight. Now, long the long and short of it is, Catherine had a bit of an episode, and she ate her fiance she or didn't de facto ate partner. Him. She cooked him. She, she definitely cooked. ate bits she of him, Holly. Him. Right? <laughs> didn't she make a curtain? She that did. She made a curtain. Yes. Yeah. So, so I when heard, the poor, I listened to that on you guys's. Yeah. So the poor police officer, he, he, you know, he walks in the door and he's like, "What's this weird wet curtain slapping What's me in the face?" Wet curtain. You know. Oh my god. And it's you know, it's a it's a perfectly flayed skin. And I'm sitting there, and Human Holly's flesh. Like, yeah. And and Holly and her both have red hair. They both had a, a lot of experience oh gosh, in the the butchery and meat industry. And Holly's just like, and this is how you would do it, and this is how you cut it, and this is how you do this, and this, and I'm <laughs> staring at my beautiful, <laughs> and I'm staring at my beautiful wife, going, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> so I'm very, even on our wedding night, uh, I said to to our reception, I go, look, in my my lovely speech that I prepared, I was like, I will look after Holly, I will love her, I will respect her, all the good husband <laughs> things you do. And then I added, because if I don't, I'm fucking sausages. <laughs> yeah. I'm dead. Yeah, I'm absolutely dead. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't answer your question about Crocodile Dundee. We do like Crocodile Dundee. It's not an accurate representation of us. Uh, but we do enjoy Paul Hogan. Uh, Paul Hogan, we've oh, done yeah, an episode great. on him as well. He used to paint the Sydney Harbour Bridge. That was his first job. So oh, he would cool. he would start from one end of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and he would go all the way across. Once he got to the end, they would then turn around and do it all over all again. again. 
For yeah. all of our international listeners, that's a very small bridge, right? Oh, it's the biggest bridge you're ever going to find. <laughs> Actually, I think it's relatively small compared to most American bridges, it's isn't it, Holly? It's about half the size of the Golden Gate Bridge, but don't quote me on that. That's yeah. still massive. Still big, that's yeah. still... Yeah. Uh, hey, I think they do this... You know, you may have beautiful architecture, right? We but do. we have the biggest rock in the world, okay? It's a big rock. It's out in the desert. Yeah, no one has a color. rock as big as our rock. That's our Where claim do you think to fame. We have beautiful architecture. Well, I mean, you've got. Actually, I was going to say uh, the Statue of Liberty, but that was French. Yeah, the French right. built that. Well, the big arch. Yeah, the you more know. you dig into it, our screen is sucks. After I Chicago mean, yeah. burned down the first time, nothing's really been built pretty. Right. Yeah. See, I, I guess I was I was trying to be nice. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have yeah. to be. <laughs> Look, we're we're aware. We're self aware. Your plantation houses. The history is kind of off, but I love the look of them. Yeah, there you go. Oh. Right, yeah. yeah I will you say, know. some of those southern plantation houses, like Louisiana, uh, Georgia, and stuff like that, with their awful, awful history, are really pretty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, come for the view, stay for the horrific tragedies that occurred I here. Mean, <laughs> as long as you're fine with a lot of black people's ghosts, you're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good place. Well, I mean, that's speaking of of what you guys do. I mean, have you covered the plantation ghosts and things like that yet? Have you got a famous example? Uh, not really. We had uh, Mark Muncy on a couple. Uh, it's not out yet. The episode's not out yet. But he talked about a couple. He's a that author here in the U.S. that kind of travels to these locations and does that kind of stuff. Uh, I did a I did a ghost hunt once in Southern Ohio. About uh, it was this plantation house where it was like a it was an underground railroad, like you know, a safe house. And there was supposedly ghost stories that happened there. We did a ghost hunt one night and stayed all night. Didn't really experience anything, but I did light my beard on fire by accident. <laughs> I do got, got a story for them. Ghost? <laughs> That's how you go, the ghost did it. You always say the ghost did it if you accidentally set your beer on fire. Yeah, too bad it was caught on film and I had a lighter on my face. I was trying to be funny and like light my face up in the dark. <laughs> so I- And I, <laughs> I lit my beard on fire. I got a good story for you guys. Go for uh, it. Because you guys just did stuff about the labor unions and stuff in Australia. Yes, and yes. And and just to qualify, too, our labor unions are very different as well. Yes. Um, less organized crime. Some organized crime. Just less. Just less. It really depends on what labor union you pick over here, but I agree. Yep. Uh, I won't name any because we have them come through the town every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, I heard you were talking about me on your podcast. <laughs> they're from uh, they're from New England, so they have a very you can always tell when they're here in the Midwest. <laughs> uh, no, so uh, famous. Uh, so we used to have migrant workers, which are basically uh, they were basically Mexican slaves. Uh, so migrant workers would only get paid enough in this area of the Midwest in Ohio enough to make it to the next farm to do harvest by uh, by hand. So they were paid, quote-unquote, workers, but they were literally just paid enough to make it to the next farm. Right. Uh, so we had carrots, and our part of Ohio is right on the edge of what's called the Black Swamp. It's this gigantic, and I mean massive wetland that was drained. Uh, Campbell's, I don't know if you guys have Campbell's over there, like Campbell's Soup. Yeah. yeah. We are, almost, I, do we have Campbell's actually in the stores, Holly? I think yeah, we, we do. do. Yeah. So almost all the carrots come from Ohio for Campbell's. Okay. Uh, Literally right down the road from us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know if you guys ever seen how they store tubers and stuff, so root vegetables. 
But they build, you've seen grain silos, but they build those same things underground. So you still have this gigantic tall shaft, but it's all like the top of it's just the surface level. So these We call them a grower in Australia, not a shower. (laughs) A grower, not a shower. so these so, uh, <laughs> no, it's like made me laugh. But yeah, so I gotta funny. get yeah, I'm gonna get divorced get, oh, here very good. shortly. <laughs> yeah, uh, but so, anyways, it was really like these migrant workers and some of the uh, the white people that work in there were you know they had the the famous stores where they first they'd only pay you in money you could use at their own store. Right. Yep. So you you you're keeping slaves basically. So the labor union started here in Hardin County, Ohio. For the U.S., it's a really little unknown thing, but there's a little plaque you can go see the one of these spots. This town's called Old McGuffey's, where these giant bloody fights started. They actually pulled the guy out of his house and killed him that was running the camp. Right. Uh, so it's this big nasty thing. It was like mid eighteen, like eighteen fifties. Fun history. Yeah. So it was really it was all the time. But my great great grandmother, she died at one hundred one, and she was telling us stories that she would hear about it. Anyways, it's super haunted for obvious reasons. Sorry, Wi-Fi dropped. Super haunted. So my brothers, uh, there are constant people seeing ghosts, all kinds of stuff there. My brothers went, and it was kind of, uh, I'm the oldest. I didn't. I don't like haunting stuff because personal experiences, so I just don't deal with it. They wanted to go see and prove, you know, be boys and go prove that they're big and tough. So they walked down six stories to go into the ground. They open this giant submarine-looking door to get into the grain silo, this root storage. They open it up, and it just reeks. And they look up. 30 foot off is a deer. It doesn't have any organs inside of it anymore. Like, it's fresh killed, though, but it's all the gut's been ripped out. And it's wedged in by its antlers about 30 foot off the ground. There's no way to get in from the top. There's only one door into this place. And there's all kinds of satanic stuff that happens over there. Uh, no, my my aunt is well. My dad's aunt actually was killed over there in a ritual by a guy. Jesus. And we have the paper, the newspaper articles for that and stuff like that. So it's there's your famous plantation haunting for you. It's a bad Jesus area. Jesus Christ! Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been over to like been to somewhere that you can feel the energy. Um, I, I've done some of our more infamous ghost tours here in Australia. So there were two that I've done because my mum loved the X-Files. And a lot of my love of horror um, directly comes from that. You know, we got the X-Files pretty much as, as soon as you guys did. We had, back in my day, ladies and gentlemen, I had four television channels, okay? I had four. <laughs> All these millennia, like, I'm a, I'm a what they refer to now. Uh, quote unquote, as an elder millennial, I'm 35, so I was born 1988, and you know everyone's spoiled now. It's like, oh, I can watch my show whenever I want. I can watch every single season of it. I didn't. I had to. I had to sit through Baywatch to get to one episode of The X Files once a week. And then when I I was a teenager, and then it wasn't such a slog to watch Baywatch anymore. So my mom. <laughs> <laughs> my mum absolutely loved horror films and, and Holly's mother did as well. So I think my love of, of the paranormal is definitely influenced by, you know, Fox and Mulder. And my mum, any time there was an opportunity to go to a Fox ghost tour, we would do it. What did I say, Holly? Fox and Mulder. I meant to say Fox and Scully. There you go. Also Scully, yeah. very formative years, those years. 
So my mum would always be like, you know, let's let's sign up for this ghost tour. So we did one which is down in uh, the Dubbo Jail. Dubbo is a very small city. Uh, it does have a, quite a large zoo, though. It's uh, the Dubbo Plain Zoo, which is massive. Western um, Plain Zoo. <laughs> well, it's in Dubbo. <laughs> it's in Dubbo, Holly. At any rate, <laughs> it's, it's big enough that they can actually do proper grazing. So, you know, you have like herds of giraffe yeah. and rhino and things like that. So they have an infamous jail, one of the oldest in, in the world. And, well, one of the oldest in Australia. Australia is very young as well. I, I don't think people quite realise just how young it is, but we are. where do we fit in the historical timeline, Holly? 245 years. Yeah. So to put it into context, oh, the... Oh, what did she say? People being here. Sorry, can you say that again, Holly? I said 245 years of white people being here, a lot longer than that with everyone else. Yeah. So... Our First Nations culture could now very well be dated back to 60,000 years. So we're Australian yep. uh, First Nations people are, are the oldest culture, living culture on the planet right now. Yep. And recently they actually dug up a couple of fossils which could indicate that they're even older than 40,000 years. So we're just sort of waiting mm-hmm. to see what comes of that. But as far as our history goes, it's, it's very, very small in comparison. They were, One still, of, they were shipping over... Australian uh, convicts to Australia while you guys were fighting your war of independence. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. One, yeah, of, so- one of the convict <laughs> ships got waylaid by you guys. <laughs> Yeah, actually, one of the convict ships <laughs> was being sent from Britain. We did an episode uh, that's going to pop up in our fourth book. But as it was coming back to Australia to drop off those convicts, an American ship pulled them over, stole all of the convict stuff. They didn't have much stuff. And then were like, and on your way. You know, so that's that's where we sort of fit in. Like my being Matthew Soul, my last name comes from a relative who was an American convict, Holly? French man sent to America, went back to yeah. Britain, ended up in Australia. Yes. So, you know, that sort of puts... Uh, when we became federated, that was just after the American Civil War? No. <laughs> this is what I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm asking you to help me. 1901. So, we haven't even been a country for that long. Just over 100 years, basically. So anyway, back to my... Sorry, I completely went all over the place there. Back to my story. Hope you've got a good editor. So back to, back to the story. So I went down to the, to the jail, to the Dubbo jail, and they've got a lot of like animatronics and, and sort of props that yell and scream and holler. So it's like you go into a dark room and you see this thing in that doesn't look quite human screaming while it's rocking back and forth in a straitjacket. Immediately, you're going to feel that. And I don't know necessarily whether that has to do with it being haunted or not. But then I've also visited Australia's most haunted destination, which is called the Monte Cristo House, which we accidentally called the Monte Carlo House, which is an Australian biscuit. And because we got we, we made that mistake, but corrected the mistake at the end of the episode, to this day, the emails that we still get about it, that it's called the Monte Cristo House, Matthew. It's not the biscuit. So we're, I use that as like, <laughs> you haven't listened to the entire episode, have you? Yeah. What do you mean? Yes, I have. It's in the last 20 seconds. Go back yep. and have another listen. But I, d- I did that tour from start to finish. And uh, again, you know, I, I, I didn't feel any of it. Um, you know, they say that a cynic is just a wounded optimist. I would love to have a paranormal encounter, but I can say to this day that any paranormal encounter that we have covered, I have been able to at least offer the alternative scientific explanation yeah. or debunk it a little bit. 
and I personally have never had a UFO encounter or a or an alien encounter or a ghost encounter. Twice I thought I did. Uh, once when we were coming across what is known in Canberra as Lake George. It's it's quite a flat plain, and when it floods, it actually fills up and become a lake again. But during drought times, it's just a, a flat plain. We were mm-hmm. driving across there, and I'm watching this amazing light pattern, and I could see the, the outline of what would be the Australian coast towards Batemans Bay, and I'm watching this light bounce across, and I'm like, this is it, man. This is it. Your whole life you've been waiting for this and it's happening. I'm watching the light bounce across the, the, the clouds and I'm like, Holly, pull over. We've got to go. We're, this is it. We've got to, we're going to see something. We're going to record it. She's like, I'm pretty sure it's just a weather event. I'm like, Holly, not now. Aliens. <laughs> so we pull over. And what was it, Holly? Lightning. Lightning. It was just what we were seeing was the edge of a storm uh, and we weren't seeing the lightning strikes. We were just seeing the initial strike. And that's why it looked like it was moving across. across. So that's disappointing. So I was disappointed by that. And then one night I'm driving home and I generally work overnight. So, you know, that's your 3 a.m. That's your 5 a.m. finishes. I'm driving along and I look up and I see this, this disc, right? This, this, it's bright. It's, it's a cylinder. It was around and I thought, oh, that's a little bit on the nose if this is actually an alien. And it's, it's just bouncing around, bouncing around. I call Holly and I'm like, holy shit, Holly, I think I'm seeing something. I genuinely think I'm seeing something. This is starting to freak me out a little bit. And then I find out that they're actually testing spotlights for the Light Fire Festival in Canberra. So both times, <laughs> both times I've been excited to see UFOs and sadly I've never, never encountered one. And yeah, I, I've done some haunted locations, uh, Sydney, Dubbo, uh, and and down in uh, Junee, and I have to say at the moment, yeah, I, I haven't really had that encounter, nor have I felt any of that energy. Holly, have you? What about you? No. No, <laughs> yeah, see? My mum no. and my grandmother will swear by ghosts, but I have never felt one. Mm. I can say the, the creepiest story that I ever heard, there was, when I was growing up in Tumut, there was a little township just uh, on the hill called Batlow. Batlow's famous for its apple orchards, has uh, some of the most the, the largest uh, apple orchards in the country and very, very famous, the, the Batlow apple in, in our area. It gets exported over to England and it gets exported over to New Zealand. And they, uh, my grandmother lived there for some time. She lived there with her brother. And she said that at 12 o'clock every night, the door would open, right? It was a door that led out from the corridor down the hallway out outside. She said that that door would open every goddamn time. And no matter what, they, they even bolted it. And they said, like, they bolted it, they came out, door was open in the morning. And she said once they started looking into it, it turned out the previous residents of that home had hung himself in that doorway. Mm. You know, and that's, that's why it always opened. Uh, my grandparents used to talk about all sorts of, of, of strange stuff and, uh, you know, um, they call them rods from heaven. These sort of weird uh, electrical phenomenon would would crash in Tumut all the time. UFOs all the time. So yeah, my my sleepy little town. We got a lot of that sort of stuff. Just because people are bored. There's only seven thousand of us. <laughs> That's what There's it was. Only Thirty five hundred of us. Yeah, <laughs> people get real bored. Real bored. Oh, yeah. Do a lot of drugs. Go camping. You see some we stuff. Just get, <laughs> get drunk and fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then we'll, we'll hang t- out with the person <laughs> the next day. 
<laughs> no matter. Just, but yeah, I don't know. I I personally think a lot of the ones that are advertised as haunted locations, they. Sorry, the the Wi-Fi. Uh, they. That's all good. They never are like they don't. When you go to like, I guess to me, and I wouldn't believe ninety nine percent of the stuff if I didn't have my own experiences. So I never expect anybody else to. Because uh, it's just I like I'm bio. I was a biologist. I'm very. That's how I'm minded, and a lot of this stuff has no actual evidence. Mm. But I don't ever doubt anybody's story because I've had my own unbelievable stuff. So it's like, if I can have that, why can't you have this experience? Why can't you know? But yeah, because advertised. I've, Sorry, I, I've um yeah, I've listened to your account of uh, the uh, the Bigfoot that oh yeah, with with some very scary encounter which. As a little plug, when we do our episode, that's something I want to talk a little bit with you about is, is your encounter with, uh, with the American Bigfoot. I think our listeners would be very interested in that. I, and yeah, but un, unlike yourself, you know, we've never had that encounter. I, I think too, for people, you know, regardless of whether something is true or not, you experience what you experience. So if, for example, you happen to see an owl at the wrong angle in the middle of the moonlight when you're already scared because you're inside a forest and it looks like an alien. It doesn't lessen the experience that you think it was an alien or you got it confused for an owl. You're still absolutely terrified in that moment. You know, you're still seeing what you're seeing. And I think uh, there's really, there's no need to belittle anyone. And I I think that's something that does happen a lot is that there's this urge to belittle people when they have interesting stories. At its worst, you're being told an interesting story that isn't quite true. Um, at its most scariest, if you wanted to buy into it, it is a very scary story. Um, the only time when you can ever laugh at people like that is when they have a, a series on the Discovery Channel. And, uh, oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, that's generally the, the, the best time for it. When, when we do our, our live show that we've done a couple of times, uh, one thing we love to talk about is the Australian Yowie, very much an equivalent to the American Bigfoot. And uh, hunting Bigfoot came over here to try and find a Yowie. Monster Hunters. I was think it Monster it was. Hunters? Yeah. Not finding Bigfoot? No, I think it was Monster Hunters. It's ridiculous Careful. that America. Hang on a second, I'll just check. <laughs> we know a lot of these guys. Yep. So there was. Holly's going to look it up for us so we actually have the name. We're pretty sure someone was fucking about with them and yelling <laughs> and hollering around them in the bush. They recorded it. And the, that one little two seconds of recording, that was their Yowie experience. <laughs> and knowing Australians like we do, we've done this in our live show, we're, you know, and, and we've done it uh, when we've done streams and things, and we've played that clip. And if you play that clip for an American audience, they will tell you, oh, my God, they heard a Yowie, right? You play that for an Australian audience, they'll be like, that was... That was Dazza having a piss while he was having a few tinnies out in the bush taking the piss out of these poor American it buggers. It literally sounds like someone's over here going, Yo! Yeah. <laughs> Yo! It's, and, and because we know our areas pretty well, you see an American film crew coming in, you're going to go and funk with them. Oh, yeah. Like that's, that's, I would. Yeah. I would. <laughs> Holly, did yeah. you find the name of which show that was? Animal Planets Finding Bigfoot. It was Finding Bigfoot, yeah. All right. Yeah. Do, now, do you guys know them? W- Yes, it, you can them. you can tell they them will, it wasn't a yowie. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we actually <laughs> see them next month, the end of April. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we hang out with those guys in a month. Yep. 
Uh, no, they'll tell you right off that 99% of the show is for TV. It's a show. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just did uh, an interview recently with uh, one of the producers of Australian Survivor. Um, I don't want to say too much more than that because they, they have a, an NDA for obvious reasons. Yeah. But, you know, TV is TV. Uh, and, yep. and what you what you see is what you see. But I can... It's entertainment. Yeah. If when you do speak to them, you can say, well, we talked to a couple of Australians and they apologize for Australians taking the piss out of you. And, and we're really sorry that we did that. But we'll do it they again. May have done, the producer may have already paid somebody to do that. <laughs> I'm not joking. So like we, t- we talked to Cliff and Renee. That's two we really see a lot because uh, we go to the same conferences. We're speakers at the same events yep. that they are. Uh, so we got to know them pretty good over the last couple of years. But They'll tell you right up that ninety nine percent stuff on the show is for TV. Yeah, uh, the absolutely. only thing that's really real they do on the show show is the eyewitnesses. Yep. When they physically talk to somebody, that's them getting an actual account from somebody, and then everything after that, you know, is for TV. Yeah. So if it's not, I'd have to look. I don't know that clip off the top of my head, but I'm going to guess it's not in their the BFRO, which is the organization that Matt founded. Beefro, uh, huh? Beefro, I know all about Bifro, your. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, you've also got UFO as well, which we'll have to change okay. the name soon. Um, yeah, I. Uh, uh, the paranormal community in America loves their acronyms, and I love them too. They're cool little fun yep. names: Beefro, Afro, Ufro, Mufro, Mufro, yeah, <laughs> We got we got kicked out of the UFO community. That's uh, probably. That's- a, don't they? They if. A couple of different UFO groups broke up on the same turf. They'll actually have it out, won't they? Like, to- yes, <laughs> they are. Out of all of our paranormal groups here in the U.S., yep. from firsthand experience, the Bigfoot community is probably the ninety percent of the easiest to get along with. Yep, and the UFO community is the worst. That feels like it has more to do with your your cryptids or your encounters because. Aliens like to probe people, whereas the, the Bigfoot's just like a kind, cuddly little monster. <laughs> get out of my way. I want to get probed first. <laughs> uh, we have people stand out in the field. Uh, we just did. We did. Um, oh, what did we do for Patreon? Travis Walton. The Travis Walton story. Oh, yep. so, so you, interv- did you interviewed Walton? No, we didn't get to oh. interview him. We're, we're going to see him at a conference later in the year. We just talked, talked about, about his story. story. Fire in the uh, Sky is one of my favorite films. It it, it sits in my, my Blu-ray collection. Uh, I don't know if you guys have looked into the actual encounter. It's, it's quite a bit different than the movie, but it's still really I have, good. Yeah, yeah. He it, the the movie sets it up very much like a typical slap down on a on a table. Weird implements go inside your eyeball. Horrible little aliens running around being nasty. The the actual experience, you know, it's more along the lines of that that sort of that shared pop culture that the UFO community has developed where, you know, it's, it it was more likely that he was knocked down and he was injured. So the Venusians put him in the ship and then they, they nursed him back and then probably stole his semen. And then there was some grays in there, you know, he's in there. Might as well grab it. Yeah. Uh, Look, my opinion is you're somewhere new. You've met some nice people, have a party, you know, that's, you know, that's, You know, you lose some semen. It happens, but it, ha- about- it, it, yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. <laughs> Saturday night in Ohio. It happens. Uh, but no, you're talking about people trying to get in line to get probes and stuff like that. Him and his brother often talked about if they ever seen a UFO, 
their goal was to get as under it as possible to yep. be abducted. Yeah. And they'd had this conversation openly in public several times. So it's like there are people here, especially in the US, that will the second lights show up in the sky, they'll be out there naked in the field running around like, come on. Yep. I'm already ready. <laughs> I just, the, I'm ready. The, there's a t-shirt idea for you guys is someone <laughs> trying to lure a UFO. They're bending over <laughs> in a cornfield and like, hey, come here. Bro, it's here. It's ready. I'm ready yeah. for this. You don't even got to deal with it. I, I'll put the straps on myself. They have a big billboard over the head that says, probe here. Probe here. <laughs> you know, you're running at the UFO with your pants falling down. It's like, I'm ready. <laughs> They're running, yeah, running backwards. <laughs> you know, now, it's... <laughs> Since we're oh, on dear. the UFO topic, you guys have a UFO yes. story for us, correct? Yes, we do. So uh, we've we've brought a UFO story to you guys, and the reason that we've done that today is because it actually ended up in a little bit of American pop culture. Uh, so there's an episode in season 11, I believe, of The X-Files, where Fox Mulder is talking to Joel McHale's character, and Fox wants him to prove his UFO cred. And he discusses the Cahill incident. And it's not something that was very well known, at least outside of Australia, until that particular episode of The X-Files. The reason it's something that we've incorporated in our live show and we want to bring to you today is because it's one of those cases where I have a very difficult time debunking it. And Mm. that's why it scares me a little bit. And we also have a variant of monsters in australia when it when it comes to american ufos i've generally heard about you know three different types of aliens your more popular aliens your short greys your tall greys and your venusians every now and again you hear talk about a draconian or you hear talk about some sort of praying mantis now there are some very creative people even if it's all bullshit it's a it's an amazing little fun universe that has been collectively created and and i really dig that so you know at its most base i think that's pretty cool we don't have that we have essentially one kind of alien encounter which i find is very fascinating just because if you look at it from purely created myth then our culture has informed how we've created our aliens your culture has has informed the way you have your aliens and if it's not myth if it is true then why are our aliens so radically different to yours yeah. and that that's something that is also fascinating so that's why today we thought we'd bring you the cahill encounter i'm going to shut up for a minute and actually allow holly to introduce it as she does a lot of the hard work on this sort of stuff everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So the Cahill encounter happened early in the 90s. Um, Kelly Cahill and her husband were driving back from their friend's house. They were in an area called the Dandenong Ranges, so we covered it in an episode called The Aliens of the Dandenongs because they weren't the first people to encounter aliens there. Yeah, if you want to pronounce it correctly as well, it's not the Dandenong Ranges, it's the Dandenong Ranges. 
that's how you pronounce that properly. Um, Holly, can I talk about the priest a little bit to set up that background there? Can you remember his name? What is his name? Can you remember his name? <laughs> Reverend B. Cozens. Yes. So Cozens, the predates aircraft. So that's something that's very he important. He doesn't predate aircraft. He just predates mass flight. His encounter yes. was in 1909. Yes. So you don't have commercial airlines. You have some hot air balloons. The Wright brothers had already built their flying machine, but you don't have what we would consider commercial aircraft. There's no helicopters. There's no planes. There's barely even an Australian Air Force at this point. You know, we haven't even been to war as a country Oh. Have we, Holly? When's World War One? 1914. Thank you. Okay, cool. Just wanted to double-check that before I start bullshitting my way through this. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> so we don't end up having, you know, any sort of uh, air force at this point that could be confused. Now, he describes very vividly seeing this strange line. And the reason we know about it is because he was so passionate about that story, he then went and told the local newspaper. And that's how we have an account of it. And then his account was then also replicated by other people who were living in the area at the time. But what's very interesting here is this is pre-UFO culture. This is uh, not a time when there are a lot of aircraft in the sky. Now, could he have been seen an astrological event? Absolutely, he could have. Because the one thing that you do see from a psychological standpoint when it does come to people who have seen these strange things is... They're more open to belief generally because they have already prescribed to an ideology. So in this case, we're talking about a priest. Uh, He already believed in the church. He already had um, a a supernatural leaning. So those sort of people were found uh, throughout all of our cases and more psychologically inclined to believe that these things are alien. The problem with uh, ascribing it to a natural phenomenon is the fact the way it moves. It sort of seems controlled, you know. So that's that's where we start Dang Dong. That's why it is as infamous as it is because we go all the way back to the early days of UFO encounters in Australia. So Cozen's encounter took place in August, early August, between the 6th and the 10th of August. I didn't get an exact date, but that's as close as we can get. The Cahill encounter happened on August 8, 1993. So, they're in so the, a bit of a gap. They're in the same era of the year, basically, within the same week of the year. So Kelly and her husband were driving back from her friend's house. Uh, Kelly noticed something weird going on ahead. There was a light. It came down over the the road in front of them. They drove towards it. They woke up. They were driving home. That's And that's, that's all they remember, right? They've seen a strange light. There are other cars on the road as well. That's going to be a little bit more important as we, we talk about this case. They see something and boom, they, they instantly lose time. Now, if you've, you've followed any UFO encounters, any UFO abductions, the infamous losing of time. And that's where you, for whatever reason, you're at a solid point of consciousness. You awaken to it. Well, you don't even awaken. You just return to consciousness. Two hours have gone. You don't remember anything about it. It's, it's strange. They brush it off. They saw something weird in the sky. Lots of people do. They kept moving on. Mm-hmm. Within a few weeks, Cahill experienced flashbacks to her night on the road. Uh, the memory seemed out of place with the agreed narrative between Andrew, her husband, and herself. 
These new memories would start to build what we now actually refer to as the Cahill Encounter. It's not just the orange light, it is so much more. Cahill started in her noontime... Cahill... <laughs> Sorry, I'm actually reading this. Cut that bit out for me. <laughs> Cahill stated in her new timeline that her husband had parked the car and approached the craft. At this time, the Cahills were only 10 to 15 minutes from home. Two more cars parked near the Cahills, no doubt drawn to the site themselves. The occupants of the vehicles got out to get a closer look at the spacecraft. Cahill asserted that the ship had a magnetism about it, as though they were moving towards the craft, not of their own will, though one could conject that natural human curiosity could have played an equal part. They stood at the fence watching for a minute. Beings started to appear below the craft. They were about seven feet tall and black in colour, a black like pure nothingness or void of colour, with piercing red eyes out of proportion to their heads. Now, as far as I understand it, and, and through looking at various different UFO stories, there is no other alien encounter described this way. It's, it's unique to us. So... A couple of things to, to look at here. Now, the, the tale that Holly is recounting is from our book, Weird Crap in Australia, Volume 1. One of the first things we decided to take a crack at was this particular story. We've done an episode on it as well. And that was just because, again, I'm a big fan of the X-Files. I'm like, they mentioned Australia. This is amazing. We've got to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Americans know we exist. It's wonderful. <laughs> so we decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to break apart this story. Now, the thing that, that caught my attention here when she was describing what she saw, and for people who are skeptics, this is for you. What she's describing is very similar to the phenomena seen by people who suffer from sleep paralysis. So if we go back okay. to the so if we go back to the start of the tale, she described losing time. Now, could that be someone falling asleep, suffering from sleep paralysis? and then having the experience that she had. That's a possibility. And that's, that's why one thing that we try and do on the show, very much like you guys do as well, and I, I, I really like that about your show, is that you do have to balance it a little bit. And, and I try not to kill the magic, uh, but also give a few different counterpoints. The reason I think that there could be a possibility here of sleep paralysis is because the shadow people that people describe seeing is very, very similar to this. And if you're not aware of sleep paralysis, the basics of it are is the human body is not built very well, regardless of what anyone tells you. It's prone to, to, to problems, uh, and sleep paralysis is one of those. And what happens is, for whatever reason, the chemical process that is required to wake you up doesn't occur properly. Our body puts us to sleep it paralyzes us, and that's really, really important because if it doesn't paralyze us, you could end up having a dream where you're a ninja and you high-kick your, your partner in the bed. Right out of the bed, they fall <laughs> to the ground. It could be a, a horrible situation to be in. So your body paralyzes you and puts you to sleep for that specific reason. However, we all know people who so don't I don't mean to kill you with that, that joke. <laughs> Yeah, everyone know. Yeah, yeah. Holly, Holly doesn't um, kick me in the bed though. But when I'll hop into bed, I think she's talking to me because I hear those weird little like uh, sort of half speech noises. The what, Holly? 
She speaks her own special language. And Matthew doesn't lay still. No. No, I... I'm a, I, <laughs> I'm a ruler, you're, too. You're a sleep yep. ninja. Yeah, sleep ninja, exactly. So, during the event of a sleep paralysis, what happens generally is the chemical blocks that stop you from moving about, they stay intact, but your conscious mind wakes up first. So, you're going from a subconscious surreal state into a fully conscious state, your body is still paralyzed, and part of what you're seeing in dreams and what you're seeing in reality start to blend together. So, you get the perfect representation of your bedroom, but also that nasty, scary thing that was chasing you in your dream. Your Freddy Krueger comes with you. That is all due to chemical malfunctions. And a lot of the UFO encounters and and alien encounters are being more attributed to that particular phenomenon, that that chemical issue. There is a problem with this skepticism, and I'll let Holly continue. There are eight or nine of these beings... They suddenly ran at the Cahills with immense speed, splitting into two groups. One group went for Cahill and her husband, and the other group rushed towards a second band of witnesses. I thought you were going to jump in there. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> sorry. And guys, if you have any questions, just jump straight in, because we're, we're okay. happy to... Yeah. Um, I'm enjoying listening. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, this is where... What, what Holly just said there about having those other witnesses, that's where the problem is when it comes to, is this a sleep paralysis story? So the man who investigated this whole thing was actually a notable Australian scientist. His name was Bill Chalker. Now, unfortunately for Bill, his career ends with a little particular case called the hair of the alien. I don't know if you know much about this case. Long story short, someone probably had a bit of a mental breakdown and assumed that two beautiful alien women were having sex with him. He woke up with a hair around... His manhood. His manhood. Yes. Tied yes. super tight. Tied, tied super tight. Right, okay, yeah, Hel- I do know that one. Yep, health and safety alert for everyone. This can happen to men. If it does happen, make sure you remove it or go to the hospital. It can lead to an infection. It's a really... It's a weird thing that happens. Happens more often than you think. Please, if you have a hair tied around your penis right now, go to the hospital. You don't want it falling off. So Finish this episode first. Then yeah. go to the hospital. Listen go to, to it the, while you're waiting in the waiting room. There you go. Yeah, that works. Got to get oh, that yeah. listener. Here in the US, you will be waiting for a while, so it's okay. Yeah, you got to find you know. a listen in the waiting room. How did you know to come to the hospital while I was listening to this podcast and they described exactly what's going on with me right now? So, with. Look down and it made sense. Yeah. So, unfortunately for Bill Chalker, and we see this a lot in the UFO community, once they get. They, they, they get desperate for the conclusive story, you know, the story that proves it. If you dedicate 25 years of your life and you're not a podcaster like we are telling fun stories, it, it becomes a, a, I would imagine the, the psychological burden is immense. And so Bill's like, so we grabbed that hair, so we grabbed that pubic hair and we did a DNA al- an analysis and it's very unique. And they're like, oh my God, is this like alien DNA or, or what, what did you find, Bill? What did you find? Well... Turns out that the hair was a hybrid of Asian genealogy and and Caucasian genealogy. Okay, Bill, why is that? So that 
But only point two percent of the population could possibly have that connect that 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 DNA, which is fine. Until but you when realize that that's like three million people, four yeah, million people in the world, yeah, yeah. Two, millions two of per- people. Two percent of seven billion is a big number, and so Bill was determined. This is what is going to be the thing, and I, and I think he just devoted so many resources to it. We ended up. We have that book in our collection, uh, which is called "The Hair of the Alien." It's a fun read. We've done episodes on it, and it it, it killed his career. But before that, Bill, in my opinion, never became the crazy ufologist. He did the work. And during this particular case, his team went down. They interviewed Cahill. They managed to keep her separate from the other witnesses as far as they tell us. So you can't 100% remove the possibility that this is all a hoax, this is a con, that these people were all working together. I can't discount that possibility. It is a possibility. But let's say, for instance, that what Bill is telling us is the truth before he went crazy. And I I shouldn't say he went crazy. He just doesn't talk to anyone anymore, and he doesn't do interviews, and he hasn't written a book since Hair of the Alien. So, you know, and he hasn't worked in academia for a long time. It it was not a great case to, to hang his hat on. So Bill's team manages to interview the other witnesses to the Cahill encounter separately. And that's extremely important because keeping them all separate, they had no contact with each other. The only time these other witnesses discovered that they were a part of the Cahill encounter was when she did her book tour and started going on all the current affair programs. That's how they worked. They, everyone started putting all the dots together. So you've got three cars, five independent witnesses, two of the people can't remember anything, the other three people can, and they're all being verified. So going back to my earlier skepticism when it comes to sleep paralysis, that starts to make the murkies ver- the waters very murky for that particular explanation. So the second car actually had three people in it, which makes six witnesses, not five, Matthew. See, I thought that there was one that had two people in it, so I was two wrong about was that. Kelly was Cahill and Andrew. Yep. Three was Jane, Glenda, and Bill, and then the last car had one person in it, and he never gave his name. His name was Mr. No Name. Sure, why not? <laughs> so this, when... this, Sorry. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, yeah, please, if you got no, questions so, so about it. So far, it gives, it gives uh, some Betty and Barney Hill vibes. It gives yep. some Reynolds Jim Forrest vibes, where they were yep. attracted like a, like, a, like a moth to the bug zapper. Mm-hmm. It's it's very like shadowy people too, and then and then like the well yeah. the red eyes is pretty interesting. The red well. eyes, and every any time red eyes pop up, it always yeah personally it, it leans towards a bad place. It 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 pushes it more towards the idea of a cryptid um, as opposed to an alien. But I mean, let's you know one of the theories that keeps being put out there, and I think has some sort of credit is what if all of this phenomena, whether it's Bigfoot or aliens or or anything, you know, what if we're actually seeing just some sort of dimensional incursion? You know, right now scientists are working very hard to uh, prove the multiverse theory. They, They believe that there is some mathematical theorem out there that they've put together some equations that do suggest that our universe is home 
it to a multiverse and there are many multiverses out there you know then the what we're actually seeing is perhaps uh, you know a dimensional bleed or some sort of energy pocket that just pops into existence and pops out so if i go out and, and, and see an encounter based on my upbringing and, and being an australian maybe i see this red-eyed pure black void alien whereas you guys could see bigfoot while we're seeing the exact same phenomena at mm-hmm. the same time you know what we don't know is extraordinary we we know very very little about our own world there could even be an unknown element with that is terrestrial that is earth-like that affects mm-hmm. us psychologically we already have those things out in the world a lot of hauntings have been disproven by infrasound which does crazy yeah. things mm-hmm. you know so while you could actually just be seeing some sort of uh, a psychic reaction or, you know, a, a physiological reaction to something that is actually very earthly, or it could be a multi-dimensional pocket bleed, or as I like to ever, end every episode, or it could have been aliens, you know, why not? <laughs> there, there could even be that possibility where there's a multiverse that bleeds into ours where Zack Snyder movies are actually good. Oh, gosh. But see, the problem is then that every other movie would be shit, so every other director would be crap in that universe. (laughs) It just lowers the standards of everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so it's like, he's the best. Batman vs. Superman is still good, but it's like, you know, you'd watch a Steven Spielberg movie and it'd look like an asylum film. So, like, (laughs) you know, you gotta be careful. It's like when Homer goes into that alternate reality in The Simpsons and everything oh, yeah. is perfect except no one's heard of donuts. He freaks out, runs away, and then it starts raining donuts. Like, you have to be yeah. very, very careful with this sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's- uh, so, yeah, they, they gather up these independent witnesses. They all start to to corroborate the same story. And like you said, it's got that, that Betty and Barney Hill vibe. And just like Barney Hill, there's also a physical element as well, which I think is where Holly's up to. And I apologize if not Holly. Kelly and Andrew were knocked to the ground. They were unconscious. When they next woke up, they were in the car. A couple of days later, they stu- um, Kelly and a couple of the witnesses, Jane and Glenda, Dylan Glenda, realized that they had some triangular marks on their thighs or their stomachs. Yeah, um, so... If you are not aware of UFOs and what they sometimes do, we made a bit of a joke about this, but in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, Barney was mechanically raped. I mean, let's just call yeah, it what I mean, it is. There's no other way to put it. There that really is isn't. What happened? Yeah, and, and he said that. He ended up with marks on his genitalia. He was very sickly for the rest of his life, and he had marks indicating some weird uh, insertions and, and things along those lines. These women started experiencing the same thing and that also had effects on their reproductive health as well, didn't it, Holly? Yeah. Um, nothing very specific that I want to go into here, but just throwing <laughs> the be- cycles out. <laughs> are, we, are we PG? No, I just it, don't like know. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not with yes. a group of boys. Oh, no. <laughs> So, yeah, they, they had issues, uh, you know, with regularity on their menstrual cycles, and that prompted both of them to go to the hospital. Mm. And that's the story of Kelly Cahill. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the, those are the basics of it. And then once uh, the, the witnesses were kept separate for nearly the entirety of this story becoming famous, Cahill is not her real name. Um, 
We, I don't think we ever found an, her no. real name. Not that we would want to. You know, she created a pseudonym yep. in order to protect her privacy. And then went face out on national TV. Yeah, that's the problem with Cahill. It's like she didn't want us to know her real name, but then she also did like every single news program that she could, making her an instantly recognizable figure and eventually mm-hmm. being mentioned on the X-Files. So I don't know how effective that plan was. was. Right. But, you know, that's, that is probably... The one UFO in Canada that does keep me up. Uh, we have a, we've we've looked at a lot of different encounters, and honestly, I can find pretty comfortable explanations for most of them. Yeah, uh, a lot of them are hoaxes, and you know, regardless of of what Mufo wants to think, because we have Mufo here as well. We have Alphorn. Well, they're basically the same thing, just the Australian version. Uh, they they want to believe that every single encounter is absolutely 100% true, and it's not. You know, there, there are cases where individuals have phone records, where there, there was a case towards Queensland, I want to say, Holly, that we covered. Are you talking about the Gundy and Mackay? Yeah, yeah. And they had phone calls between where the person was abducted from and dropped off at, in the days preceding to her being discovered. But she only vanished two hours before being discovered. Supposedly. You know, so it's like every single UFO organization wants to be like, yes, these are absolutely real. This is absolutely true. But obviously some hoaxes are just hoaxes. You know, the guys who did the crop circles in the UK have been like, we were bored and it was us. You know, we all went out and we did a little bit of fucking about and we had a tinny and it was fucking wonderful. And they all went out and did that, you know, and then they went to the media and said, hey, it was us. And then the media's like, well, prove it. And they're like, okay. And they did a crop circle in front of them, showing them the equipment that they used. And it was very, very clear that these guys did it. And to this day, people still cite crop circles as absolute infallible evidence of an alien visitation. And it's just not possible. And I think that goes back to what eventually happened to Bill Chalker. You want something so bad that you're willing to make everything fit together. And and I think you have to be careful of that. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing that I loved about your show when you were talking about um, going out and looking for Bigfoots, and I'd highly recommend everyone, if you haven't listened to those episodes, Cryptids of the Coin, you should go back and listen to them. They're fantastic. But one thing that stuck out at me that you said, not every single broken limb is a Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. You know, and that, that, that resonated with me because not every alien encounter is real, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you have your Shrevers of the world who it, it seems real. You know, communion has a lot of these elements to me that are like, why the fuck would you make all of this up? And Cahill that has... That a weird one. Yeah, oh, we recently watched Communion the movie. How did you go with that, Holly? I kept having panic attacks. <laughs> when when the little alien pops its head around the corner, has to be one of the most disturbing things I've seen in an alien film. For whatever reason, viscerally, it just hits you in the guts. That I mean, that you know, people freak out when they see it. You know, they yeah. It's it, even if you don't have an alien experience or quote unquote alien experience, it's still it's one of those movies that's really powerful. Yeah, it is, and I, I. It makes me wonder why do people respond to that iconography in that way? You know what? What is it about the way that particular film looks and those aliens are represented? What is it that 
makes you feel viscerally scared and afraid. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we don't understand, I think, about biological, um, biologically induced psychology. You know, ducks migrate because that's what they've always done. You know, they have this biological memory of how to cross from one place to the other. Locally, it's known as DNA memory. DNA, yeah, exactly. So, you know, what is it about watching a film like Communion that upsets you to your core? And I think those sort of questions are very interesting. When you look at human evolution, the idea of, you know, the possibility of not just two or three human species, but maybe seven or ten different human species. What did that planet look like? How did we react with those things? What if there were humanoids that were very, very different to us that informed our DNA memory of what an alien looks like? You know, it's like the film Paul. I love that because, you know, they're like, hey, man, you look exactly like the aliens from the comics. And he's like, of course, because this has been planted into your pop culture so that when you actually see us, you're not going to freak out. Right. You know, Uh, so, yeah. Two things for that is that I just seen it. uh, I'm, I'm big in paleontology and stuff like that. But 22 species of human at one time existed at the planet together. Yeah. 22 yep. species. And then Uncanny Valley, we talk about that a lot, that we have this genetic knowledge or this genetic fear of something that looks human but's not quite right. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what it's hitting on, like you're saying, that, you know, yeah. they, the grays look just enough-ish human to be like, okay, that's not right. You know, it's freaky. Shoot yeah. it. There's a, a, a psychological survival instinct. When it yes. comes to the, the, the Uncali Valley. That's another thing I like too. It's when you're like, if we find Bigfoot, we shouldn't shoot it. I'm like, I like that that opinion very much. And then other Bigfoot hunters are like, no, we got to kill it. we got to absolutely yeah, kill a, it. That's you a know. hard line here in the US. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it, it, look, I've said some things about the Zabruda film on our uh, podcast. And uh, I've gotten a lot of hate mail over that one. But it really <laughs> does look to me like a, a dude in a suit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you will. I mean, it's just how it is. It's, it's gonna. Yeah, they're very talk. passionate. Yes, <laughs> extremely. I mean, we go to festivals and talk. We, you know, one of our big Bigfoot festivals we go to in two months has eleven or twelve thousand people that go in one day. Yep, yep. So our biggest one's Mothman Festival, which we're talking about on your show. Uh, which Mothman Festival this year? They don't even know how many people it had. Yeah, it's between 35,000 and 40,000. Mm. I, I remember watching uh, some news footage on that, and they're like, you know, oh, I don't know if this town really needs to erect a Mothman statue. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mothman supports your entire economy. <laughs> put put out joke. more Mothman Literally, statues. <laughs> if you guys ever come to the Ohio or the U.S., we will take you there. We'll give you the full tour. Because that would be it amazing. Because it is a no-name town. Yep. And it's only, it, it's great. Uh, Jeff Wimsley, so when we come on your guys' show, we're going to use some of his stories. I don't know if you guys know who that is directly. He's the I owner of the Mothman uh, Museum. Right, right. I think I've read quotes from him. That name oh, sounds Oh, I'm sure familiar. you have. Anything, you, you're a big Mothman fan, so I'm sure I you am. have. I uh, am. But yeah, because he's the one that's, he's local. You know, he was a kid when it was happening. So he knew everybody that had encounters. So even if they don't have the names attached, he has the locations and the people's encounters that he was able to get. Uh, anybody at home, I suggest if you want a Mothman, a good Mothman book with those accounts, get any of Jeff's stuff. Uh, he has like three or four books. They're great. Uh, Behind the Red Eye 
guys is the one sitting right here. Um, but yeah, the, the Bigfoot community is very passionate. <laughs> yes, yes. I got uh, I got some very angry emails um, concerning my opinion on the Zabruda film, which I I politely responded to all of them. It's it's okay to disagree too. I I think yes. we. You know, unfortunately, we live in probably one of the most polarized times that we've ever lived in. And it's okay to disagree with someone and finish your beer and finish your meal with them and still be buddies when you walk out the door. Uh, When Holly and I disagree with things on the podcast, one of the things I like to point out at the end of the disagreement is to say, see, we can disagree. We don't always have to agree on anything and we can still walk away and be friends. I mean, he says that, but he's down to three fingers now. (laughs) <laughs> well, look, you know the the worst part is is she makes me eat them afterwards. It's not very nice. It's it's you, you know some people got to do. Hey, they they say that I'm in an abusive relationship. I don't think it's that abusive, but you know I am missing most of the 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 digits on my hand. <laughs> but yeah, the the, <laughs> the the other thing about like the the alien experience as well that I find fascinating here in Australia is that we don't have the men in black element, which is something we're definitely going to discuss with Mothman. We don't have the men in black element here. And we and I almost did, actually, when we did yeah, but the that, Gundy and McClane incident, the was, hoax. there wasn't in my B element, but other than that, no, the problem is that that particular story as well, they found a ton of UFO magazines and literature at their home. You know, that's, and, and like going back to the Travis Walton experience that you mentioned earlier as well, that is one of the things that immediately raises alarm bells with me when discussing his case is that him and his brother loved UFOs. They wanted, yeah. they had a, they had a UFO battle plan. You know, when this thing arrives, we need to do this and, and we, we need to make it all happen. But again, with the Walton experience as well, though, how the hell did he wind up where he did by himself? When everyone yep. else was accounted for, and he was dehydrated, and he was very sickly. So it's, you know, and that's exactly with Cahill. There are elements where I can go, okay, well, with this case, it could have been a combination of sleep paralysis, and someone could be lying, right? They, they, they could have cooperated. It's not lying, it's mm-hmm. embellishing. You know, you know, maybe Bill Chalker wasn't being honest when he said that they were all kept as separate as they were. But I can never fo- like you know the the information that that could blow the whole thing wide open just doesn't exist. And I think considering how popular Cahill was, if any of the people who were there that night wanted to discredit her, then they had more than enough opportunity to do it. You know, it could also be the case of like maybe it was a hoax and they definitely didn't want to be involved. Telling anyone that you've seen a UFO or that you've had an encounter, it's going to ruin your life. There is no 100%. money to be made. Yeah, that you're you're going to be derided. Uh, you're going to have you, you may lose your career. You you will be examined not only by the the public but by UFO enthusiasts, and even in in some cases, you know the the government is going to knock on the door and say, "I need you to explain this UAP that you saw because it happened to be close to an airfield base, and maybe you've seen something that you shouldn't have." So we need to find out. No one comes out of. Uh, of uh, a UFO encounter in a good light. And, you know, Cahill was, but again, to the skeptic side of it, Cahill may have been aware of that. And that's why she created a fake name. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she was aware that maybe she wouldn't make as much money off this 
and that it would come back to bite her on the ass later on in life. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I people have a big misconception that everybody's doing this for money. You gotta think like a Travis Walton. Oh, I probably cut out again. Sorry. So like Travis Walton, everybody's got this big misconception that they made tons of money, and he still talks. Uh, but most of these conferences pay like five hundred bucks plus your hotel. Yep. And then you sell two hundred dollars in books. Yeah, you're not making yep. too much and money. You do that twice a month. Stuff. Yep. We. And that- <laughs> It's and exactly what people, we do too, yeah. And then he has people camping out in his yard and people screaming at him and throwing, yeah, yeah. throwing stuff at him. It doesn't seem like a good trade-off to me. It, and that's no, the big, you know, he's one of the big ones here. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for people to camp out the front of our house and start yelling at us like, that's a highlight. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the funniest things that did, to speak to that, the funniest things that ever happened to us is Holly one day thought I was talking to her. But I was still asleep after a night shift. She'd gone downstairs and she was positive someone was talking to her. And she thought it was me. And she's looking around, looking around. Turns out our, our bottom stairs neighbor was listening to our podcast. <laughs> and that's how she thought she heard my name, which I thought was <laughs> quite funny. Um, but yeah, look, you know, if you look at the rest of the people who are involved in the Walton encounter, um, they had horrible existences afterwards. Yes. Except for the the one guy who married Walton's sister. He had a good and happy marriage. But, you know, there was some guy, uh, one of the witnesses is like, I one can't. One of the six. Yeah, I, I, I can't be in the forest. He he talks about how camping yeah. terrifies him. He had to move to uh, New Mexico, I think it was, right? Yeah, moved to the middle of the desert. Yeah, because he just couldn't be around the forest anymore. And that speaks volumes to what happens to these people. They're not treated very nicely. And, and I think it's it, it's a it's a bit of a shame because there's definitely something going on. There is an answer to be had, and uh, you know if if people are treated constantly like they're having mental illness, um, you know, well, even if it is all mental illness, we need to investigate that as well. You know, why are people having collective hallucinations? What is causing that? Is a is it some sort of biological thing in the the air? Is it some sort of gas that we don't know about? Like there. I think that there's definitely enough out there to ask the questions. And I mean, the American military at the moment, they think there's enough out there to answer, uh, to ask some of those questions. Um, I mean, just oh, recently. Well, it, it's interesting with the UAP stuff that the, the guys who are writing about that for the New York Times, uh, I listened to a podcast. I can't even remember the name of it now. It's, um, it's a movie review podcast, but they're friends with uh, one of the writers one of those writers said, this story is going to change the fucking world. And it was the Tic Tac mm-hmm. video. And the Tic Tac video comes out and it changes nothing. Yeah, we, Nobody right. cares. Nobody. And, I, I, and I was watching this video and I, I said to Holly, I'm like, you know, this is, this is legitimate. And I, I said, that you could be looking at two possibilities here. You could be seeing uh, drone tech being tried out. You know, if you if if you Lockheed Martin and you've got a brand new weapon, who are you going to test it out on first? You're going to test it out on the best of the best, right? You know, if if, if you've already got a, a fighter jet out there of a certain capability, well, you've just created this amazing supersonic drone. You're going to send that little tic tac out there to test it against your own equipment before you deploy it overseas. That is a very realistic possible explanation for that video. Yeah. But the other side of it is the people who are in those cockpits are scared 
and their 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 navy air force like they they know they're they're designed their psychology is broken so that they can't be afraid of situations you know they're meant to keep their cool that is what they're trained to do so when they're like man i i don't know what this is and i don't understand how it's flying People also forget if you're up in a jet, you have to have an advanced mathematics degree. You have to understand the basic concepts of propulsion and movement and, and, and you know, speed in an aircraft. And when they turn around and say, I don't understand what this is, that is definitely something to, to start asking questions about. Unless it's solar panels attached to balloons. We, we, that's pretty early. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but speaking to that, as far as a, uh, the U.S. is uh, kind of the view for it, for when the Tic Tac officially became public, I to me, I kind of felt I don't. First off, we don't like nobody here in the U.S. really cares for our, our government too much. Yeah, it's, anyone that's paying attention. Uh, so yeah, it's the, it's the same everywhere these days. It's like fuck those rich fucking people. Fuck them exactly. right off. They need yep. to wear NASCAR jackets so you know who's sponsoring them. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> uh, but no, it's stuff we've already been seeing. The public's already been seeing forever. So mm. for them to finally come out and say it just kind of was underwhelming. Like, yeah, we know. Like, mm. yeah, we know there's weird stuff in the sky. We know that it's probably you guys or it's probably something else. You know, you're not. We're not buying into this. We don't. Just because you're forty or fifty years late to the game, coming public with it, we don't care. You know, when we we've interviewed people that have seen this stuff, and I think that's why partially, and then you know. The world was ending when it came out, too. But I think that's why the U.S. really, we didn't care. I mean, it was neat, but it's like, even in our circles, nobody cared. Right, yeah. It's like, everybody knows. Like, everybody knows that these things are... Thanks for telling us something we already know. We know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think think you hit the nail on the head there, too, when you're talking about this being released during COVID. Um, It is the, you know, if you don't want a lot of attention on it, it is kind of the perfect time to release that sort of information out into the the world. You know, people are worried, oh shit, I've just lost my job, I have to stay at home, grandmother is dead because she caught COVID and now we have all these bills to cover that we can't. The least, the the last thing on your mind is whether there's uh, some sort of alien incursion on the planet or or whether there are UFOs out there. Um, I think it's, it is interesting, though, in the respect of we have so much more surveillance out there. Everyone has a smartphone and things like that. And I think in some cases, at least having a, a military aircraft with military tech see something like that, I think it does at least give a little bit of validation uh, to yep. some people, you know, because they're like, well, look, you know, you can say a lot of things about a camera that is from the 90s that you had a roll of film attached to, you know, you can definitely talk a lot about that, but it's a little bit harder to say that this thing isn't real when it is military technology recording it. And then obviously the subsequent videos that have come out as well, I find um, are quite interesting. So, you know, we seem to sort of go through this period of non-disclosure, disclosure, non-disclosure, disclosure, uh, right. talk about it, make it public, everyone knows about it, and then... It will not shock me that if in maybe five or six years someone comes out and dismisses it as well. And I mean, maybe at the end of the day, this is just, a, a, again, a psychological testing of the public. Let's see what people do when we yeah. present them with an idea. 
you know, does it freak them out? Do they gather up? What is the behavioral model? And maybe they didn't get, they, they either got the reaction that they wanted or maybe that they didn't. And maybe they took down a note and that will be published in a psychological journal somewhere. Yeah. You know, you know it's hard. It's hard saying. And like the media itself, I mean, now we have like television and things like that to really spread messages or ideas. But before that, I mean, it was, what was it? Probably newspaper was probably the most primary form of media that we had spreads at least a national story around i mean we literally have and, three books over there that's all about right the stuff that was in older newspapers and i was gonna say like as far as them disclosing things now i mean the newspapers had countless stories of ufos or things like that just in our country alone um, that dates back you know to the mid 1800s just things like this and now oh they put it on tv and they're well you know this stuff's real now guys you know, it's like this stuff has been around for anybody that's paying attention or has any interest in it at all. It's already been there. So what they showed us, you know, is nothing really special at all for anyone in this community. I mean, one of the first Tic Tacs was in the 1930s in Italy, like an actual one of these real big Tic Tac shaped UFOs. So it's over a, almost 100 years ago is what, you know, so it's like old news. Something Matt said mm. I really agree with is it that the, but the pilot had no idea what was going on. A fighter pilot. Right now, most of the time he's comfortable flying six six hundred fifty miles per hour, and this thing's running circles around him. Mm. How freaky would that be? It's, the guy's taken. I can't remember. He had a, a very extensive military record with active dogfights and stuff like that. He'd been engaged in. So it's like you're saying, Matt. It, it's it's nothing. He's not anybody. He's not a crackpot. You know, he's a toughened, hardened man. That this thing is literally freaking him out, running circles around him. Mm. And something we covered with it is it only showed up on short-term radar, not long-term radar. And so uh, organics, I we you know we are big proponents in the organic UFO angle that there are actually creatures from the upper atmosphere. You'd love Nope, I would imagine. Yep, we've do- we've done reviews on it and stuff, but nope. uh, it's the so whales do that. Uh, most people like so whales are big animals, but they don't show up on long-range radar. They only show up on short-range or sonar. Sorry, but. It seems to do the same thing, and it just was playing with this fighter pilot. And then when he got bored, it took off mm. at an insane speeds. Yep. He, this guy's flying 600 miles an hour, and it just, whoop. Gone. Yep. Like, that would freak anybody out to me. And, and we have a, a similar phenomena here in Australia. We call it the Min Min Lights, which Holly can talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want me to talk now? <laughs> sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. This is what happens. <laughs> I'm the talker. Holly's the researcher. The Min Min lights are a light phenomenon. They're basically glowing balls of light that will skip around like a will o' the wisp. The only difference is the First Nations people associated it with happy times, not death and gloom like a will o' the wisp is. Um, they're usually seen on the horizon. They'll be up, they'll be down, they'll be flying around, changing colors. But if you manage to catch one, you'll be never seen again. Yep. There, there, I'd like to point something out too about mine and Holly's dynamic. This always happens in interviews as well uh, because I'm a talky-talky guy and Holly's the book girl. Norm- and- Normally I can make like gestures at him, but he's clearly not watching his screen. <laughs> I'll see. Well, I could, but the problem is your webcam is all dodgy and Holly and like, I don't know if you guys can see it, but what's we're at the same desk, but this is what we're separated by. This nice yeah. big sound. <laughs> So I yeah. can't actually see her. Um, so I should. Uh, what well, actually? What well, and of course you'll edit. I imagine a lot of this yeah. rambling shit out. But um, 
You'll be surprised. One thing, <laughs> one thing though, Holly, that you can talk about, I think that, and it was saying that you just brought up there is like, all of this information has been out there for some time. We've built our entire podcast on this idea that information is out there. People are just losing stories. And Holly is amazing at uh, collating those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, Holly, what's the process of finding this stuff? Uh, I find a vague mention of it in either a different news report or someone will vaguely mention it on a forum. And then I start digging. <laughs> I will go through our national newspaper archives. I will go through the back end of Google searches. I will look through YouTube. Anywhere and everything I can get to. Sometimes I'll even go to the National Library and actually look through their physical books, which is very hard to do during COVID, but has been done previous to that. Until I can work out how to fill an hour of us rambling about it. <laughs> I mean, we even have books, all of Bill Chalker's books that we've slowly accumulated over time. Uh, friends of ours will go hunting in op shops to find old newspaper books. I have three versions of the same book from three different decades. <laughs> yeah, and, wow. and all of the... So it's like what all, all I feel like a lot of us are doing is we're just... It's, it's almost like archaeology. You're just rediscovering this lost mythology, this lost information, and then, and then you're you know, bringing it back out there. My, my, my idea with this podcast is that politicians will do anything they can to warp history to their own agenda. There's nothing yes. you can do to stop it except to stand up and tell the stories. Yep. So you have to dig through the past. You have to drag out the things that besmirch the Anzacs, like the Liverpool riots or the alien encounters that happened on naval bases around Australia, or the time that the Japanese bombed Sydney Harbour. All those kind of things that tend to get either pushed to the wayside or just shoved under the carpet completely have to be told so that we actually understand who we are and where we came from. A hundred percent. Like uh, when Holly just mentioned there, the Anzacs, that's the Australian and New Zealand uh, fighting corps. Uh, uh, which Corps. is sorry, Army Corps. Thank you, Holly. Sorry, it's nearly midnight. I'm losing my marbles. Um, you know, during during their training before World War One, they sixteen. It was during World War One. They were all being trained up to go for marches across Europe, and they decided they don't want to march for an extra half hour a day. So they were going to take a two day march through the centre of Sydney, looting every pub they saw, throwing stuff at every civilian they saw, and eventually getting into a shooting fight with uh, police. The bullet holes are still in the train station to this very day. Now, that's telling that story is not applicable to the mythologizing of the America of the Australian Armed Forces. It doesn't and fit so, the exact, so you have to get rid of it. Yeah, it's like while all soldiers are amazing for the sacrifice and for going out and, and protecting us, some are right bastards, and they're also human as well. And I, I would prefer to read about a story of a bunch of soldiers who didn't want to march around in a square all day, going out, raiding pubs, getting drunk, and then having a shootout at the end of the day. That seems more Australian to me than <laughs> these people are just, you know, these untouchable heroes. Australians marched on Parliament House in 1996. Um, the Prime Minister at the time turned around and said it's an un-Australian thing to do. Like Australians don't have a history of political organising and doing this kind of thing. And in the episode that that did, I mentioned 20 other points that we've covered <laughs> plus four that we haven't where we've done that exact thing. Yeah. You know, I think the people in charge, you know, between government, media, would love to tell you how your community functions. Yes. They'd like to tell you who you are. 
who your people are and they don't know, you know, or they're warping it to, to suit an agenda. Well, they've got their yep. own history they're throwing on it. Yeah, it, it's like we often um, we often inco- uh, uh, uncover these amazing stories of people being very human and very relatable. And if they don't fit in with this this sort of narrative that's that's pushed out there a lot, it, it's often forgotten. Um, before I continue on too much further, what what timeline are you guys looking here? Um, are we at an hour and a half now? I think so. Yeah, I didn't want to push it too Just much longer two, on this. Almost two. Almost two. So let's. Let's maybe wrap it up because we still got to do one for you guys, right? Yep, that sounds good. Then we can have a very quick break and I'm going to make myself another coffee if that's okay. That's fine. We're going to grab one too in the kitchen. Awesome. All right. Um, so, yeah, I'll throw back to you and then we can wrap your side of it up if you like. That sounds good. Cool. Uh, but, yeah, we agree with every, like, everything you guys just said. It's the same same thing in the U.S. Literally, our governor is so out of touch. Yeah, it's not it's, even- it's it's ridiculous. Anyone that's paying attention knows how ridiculous it is. Ohio is a very mm. unique state, and th- our governor doesn't understand anything about the state. Literally, that's why they. No. I mean, during COVID, they tried to take him out back and shoot him in the head, probably several times. Yeah, mm. uh, but he's very it's- slippery. <laughs> I think uh, the, I think uh, they they all are these days. Um, yeah, oh we gosh. actually we we get so much American news. It's it's kind of fascinating. Um, like. Uh, when when it goes to you guys, uh, I I don't know if you hear about us a, a lot, but we get so much stuff now. And I listen to a, a podcast, Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, and I've learned so much about yeah. the American uh, political system over the last couple of years. And and we just recently had an election, which may have counted a very sort of American system that was coming in as well, where we could have seen that too. Um, but yeah, no, totally agree, totally agree. Well, it's been this has been an awesome episode. Once again, you guys are one of my favorites, the one of the ones I listen to every week. Thank you uh, so much. And it's been an honor having you guys on. So if you could real quick go back through your shout outs, your Patreon. I don't know what Mastodon is, but you guys keep shout, shouting out, so shout that out. Do whatever you gotta do. So <laughs> I mean at this point I could do Matthew's spiel myself. Like I don't you, even need him here to do it. You could, you could. Uh so the the basic spiel is uh, if you'd like to find us on the social medias, we're on nearly all of them. So Facebook and Twitter, obviously, being the main two. Twitter, we are at Weird Crap in Oz, A-U-S. Uh, Mastodon and Hive are sort of their attempts at, at different Twitter things. I'm always worried I'm going to get banned off Twitter because I can't shut my mouth. And I like shit-stirring <laughs> Elon Musk because I think it's funny. But uh, <laughs> he kind of runs Twitter. So maybe one day he'll he'll get a bit upset about my tweet where I'm like, Hey, you're a billionaire. Maybe just shut up and go do something instead of being on Twitter all fucking day. Jesus Christ. So maybe one day I'm going to get banned off Twitter. So we also have Hive and Mastodon in case I run my mouth and we get banned. We also have our own subreddit. So r slash weird crap in Oz podcast. Oz is A-U-S. So come over and have a chat with us whenever you want. Yeah. Holly, uh, you can- will you re-say that, Holly? Sorry. The whole thing? The Reddit, the Reddit part. So the sub that we moderate that we have is Weird Crap in Oz podcast with Oz as A-U-S. So yes. come over and chat. If ever we say Oz, it's always A-U-S, not O-Z. So not Wizard of Oz, A-U-S. Uh, so yeah, you can find us on that. Occasionally I'm on Twitch. I'm not a, a streamer, so we only do it very sparingly. But if you do follow us there, you'll be alerted when that pops up. 
all of the Twitch streams end up on YouTube as well, and I'm just playing whatever particular game that I have to, to be enjoying that day. Um, when it comes to the podcast, you can find it. If you're listening to this right now, chances are we're on that app. Uh, it's so on we're on my, <laughs> it's it's on the same. We're on all the podcasting apps. And uh, if you would like to check out some of our stuff in written form, maybe you enjoy that, uh, you can grab a physical copy of our book series, We Crap in Australia, Volume 1, 2, and 3 are available from lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U.com. Um, they're a great company because what they do is they actually tap your local printers. So if you're living in the US, they're going to tap a local printer to print the book on demand for you, uh, as opposed to you having to ship it from anywhere, which I think is... It's really a, a valuable way to get your books out there. Yeah. So for the environment and good for the wallet. Exactly. Yeah. They're not doing mass pulping to make mass books. It's just print on demand and they'll tap a local printer who actually needs the work to print those books for you. And of course wow. you can grab it on Kindle from Amazon and I think it's in the Amazon library as well, Holly. So you don't the even Kindle, have to buy it. Kindle Unlimited, yeah. Yeah, Kindle Unlimited. So you can grab that as well. So those are all the different things that um that you can find Weird Crap in Australia on. Just Google it and then whatever yeah. platform you want, we'll be there. I, I put all the links below anyways for everybody at home. <laughs> so cool. it'll, it'll <laughs> be nice highlighted links. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, was, uh, <laughs> we do too many projects. <laughs> but no, it's just, it, it's just easiest. So if people, uh, everybody at home, if you need if you get get their books, go listen, leave them reviews. All the links will be below for that. Five-star reviews. Five-star reviews only. That, we don't yes. read... <laughs> Uh, before we end it, you know how we end it, but I want to keep your guys a tradition too. So Holly, what are the last words? We have a lot of books going on this year and I'm writing four at the same time. I don't know how I'm going to keep going with this podcast. Matthew's (laughs) going to have to pick up the slack. Yeah. Yay. More writing. (laughs) I do. I do have a gift for you though. I I think, I think I can make this work. So you know you like the impressions, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do my best Steve Irwin for you. Oh, oh yes. Right. So what would you have loved to hear Steve Irwin say? Oh crikey! Look at that stunner Isn't over she there. A beauty? Ain't she a beauty? He always Ain't she a beauty? <clears throat> All right, everybody. So I've gone down to the bush and I found this beautiful brown snake. She is absolutely. Beautiful. What a beautiful girl. Absolute beautiful example. I absolutely love her to bits. And if you look after the environment like I know you will, you're going to make me, Steve, very happy. That's awesome. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) It tickled me. (laughs) Thank you guys again. So you know how we like to end it? We're going to count down from three. We're all going to scream by. The outro will play. Sounds good. All right. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review. And remember, there is always extra content on Patreon slash com. And don't forget, stay magical.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.